Good morning. Morning. <laughs> Joel, hey. Uh, good to see everybody. Um, this morning we're going to be looking at our, our Heavenly Shepherd, and we've heard a couple of passages about that already. But um, why don't we pray when we start off, yeah? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we just um, come before you now, uh, needing your voice and guidance, Lord. We come before you um, as your sheep, wanting to know your voice, wanting to have you guide us, and just so thankful that you do that. We pray that you speak to us as we go through your word this morning, that you would um, enable us to understand, and that you would just bless us with, um, with knowing your will and your guidance as we study this morning together. Thank you for the time of worshipping, and we pray for your blessing over this next bit now. In Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty. Well, many of us who have driven on um, the lesser roads a few hours west of the cities uh, would have come across at some point uh, farmers moving large numbers of livestock across the road and had to wait. Is there anyone who's experienced that? Who's experienced that? Less than Vicky, still plenty. <laughs> um, we've certainly have a number of times, my family and I, when we've been out there, and uh, personally, we really love it. Uh, we, we're never in a hurry when we're in those places, and we we stop and we wait for these large number of um, sheep or cows to be crossed the road. It's, I mean, it's a large number of, of animals and a f- quite a small number of farmers. And we look at these farmers personally and we think, oh, they're living the life, sitting there on their motorbike or their horse with all these animals. Um, and as much as we enjoy it, though, it's, it's not something you want to be in a hurry um, when you come across it uh, because they can take quite a while because there is such an imbalance of the number of animals to farmers. Now, I bring this up uh, just so, just to point out that we as Australians will probably have a certain picture in our mind when we think about shepherd. Um, if I was to say the word sheep farmer, just picture in your mind what you're picturing. Now, I did some quick dodgy stats study for this, and they were dodgy, I'll admit. Um, and it looked to me about 1,000 on average um, sheep per holding in Queensland. That was about the number. Um, so that's, that's quite a big number. And you're probably, I'm guessing, picturing something like this um, when you picture a sheep farmer, when I use that word instead of shepherd. Or maybe like this, cue number two. What you're probably not picturing, though, is something like picture number three. This isn't an old um, artist's impression or a recreation. That's how a lot of the world still shepherds. Uh, the West is still the only part of the world that drives our livestock and has these huge ratios. Often this method is used in the east. This is, this is taken near, uh, near Iraq, the shepherd. And there'll be a smaller number and there'll be a much uh, more intimate knowledge. They'll spend a lot of time with the, um, with the sheep. They'll get to know them. They walk in front, guiding the way. And I'm not saying for a second that it's the norm for shepherds like old mate there to lay down their life for the sheep, like in the passage. And we'll come to that later. But it's a much better starting point because this is more what the authors were thinking about when they wrote these passages we're looking at, this different model of a shepherd. Now, today I do want us to end back at Psalm 23, but we're not going to start there. Psalm 23 is about the Lord being our shepherd and what that means to the psalmist. But before we focus on that, I'd love us to read John chapter 10 in a bit more detail to hear what it means from Jesus um, himself and what it means to him to be our heavenly shepherd and to walk with us guiding the way. So if you'd like to turn with me to chapter 10, actually chapter 9, we'll start a bit there. Um, we'll go through there and, um, and see what it means to him. 
You know, the way chapter 10 launches straight into the discourse is a fair indication that it's a continuation on from chapter 9. In chapter 9, Jesus heals a man that was born blind and the Pharisees were unhappy about this because it occurred on the Sabbath. So that's the backdrop we have. Um, John chapter 10 is actually pretty difficult in a few places in some of the details. Like as a reader, it's hard because first he's the shepherd and then all of a sudden he's the gate. First he's being compared to... Um, thieves and then to hired helpers. Some of these details are a bit tricky. But the lead into the allegory at the start um, is really quite smooth because with that backdrop, the man born blind is just the perfect picture of this helpless sheep that needs guidance and help. And the Pharisees condemning that miracle are just the picture of the false shepherds, aren't they? Not wanting a bar of it. So that's, that's our lead in. Um, I'm actually going to read from chapter 9 verse 38 just to set that context and then the first six verses we'll, we'll go through that passage again and, and have a look at some of the details there so john chapter 9 from verse 38 he said lord i believe and he worshiped him jesus said for joy, for judgment i came into this world that those who do not see me may see that's the not see may see and those who were born who see may become blind some of the pharisees near him heard these things and said to him are we also blind Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, we see, your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief, thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and call his own, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all out, um, out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him. They do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. It's the first key point there. The one that enters by the door is the valid one, yeah? Um, so we want to look at what that means. When we look at John's Gospel as a whole, there's a number of themes that run all the way through it, some common themes. And one of them is this really tight unity between Jesus and the Father. Um, indeed, the whole Trinity. Um, a few examples. Even chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, what, was, um, sorry, and the Word was God. This tight unity. A few from John chapter 5. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. Is 19. And 37. The Father who sent me has borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. Past the passage we've looked at in 16. I came from the Father, this is 28, verse 28, and have come into the world, now I'm leaving and going to the Father. This theme runs through the whole thing. And I think this door, the door in this passage, is continuation of that. Jesus comes through the Father at his will and command. Those who are coming only following the law like the pharisees were worried more about the sabbath than this person's healing um, they weren't using the gate they weren't coming through the will and command of the father they were trying to come through the law now rules or um, which may explain good ethics or the law which was given by god nothing wrong with that but they are not god themselves and people who and any message that doesn't focus on the center of god and his relationship with us and him reaching out to us personally, that's not the gate, what Jesus is saying. It has to come through the will and command of, of God, following the Spirit of God. And that's the gate. Any message without that 
or any preacher that gives that message, there's no life with that. There's only theft and destruction, as the passage tells us. Next, Jesus in this passage talks about the chosen sheep recognizing his voice um, in 3 to 5, verses 3 to 5. The Eastern shepherd, just like all of us, has a certain voice, yeah? It's an identifiable voice. And he spends a lot of time with the sheep, so they come to recognize it. And they're going to follow when he speaks. Um, someone else, they'll say, that's not right. When, when he leads them out um, for, of the pen to pasture, he doesn't drive them out, but he walks in front, and they know the voice, so they, um, he follows them as he guides. His sheep know his voice. Those that are called by the Father know his voice, and they follow. We need to recognize this. This is a really special gift, because when we've, when we've accepted Christ, when we've become a Christian, and we, we know that God... Um, has saved us, that Jesus has died for our sins. That's a beautiful blessing. But the fact that we recognize that in the first place is the first grace. Being able to, um, to see the gospel, to be able to hear the voice of Jesus and recognize that as truth to follow, that's a gift in and of itself. That's a grace. That's the first grace. Because John chapter 15 says, through me you can do, oh sorry, apart from me you can do nothing. We can do nothing apart from him. But he gives us this grace to, to know his voice. So that's a beautiful thing. Fleeing all other guidance and teaching. We can do this by hanging on every word we hear spoken in his voice. And I'm, of course, largely speaking about the Holy Scriptures now. We can know his voice by looking at them. If we recognize Jesus as Lord, then the Scriptures ring true to us. The Holy Spirit within us brings them to life. And we hear the voice of our shepherd as he guides us, uh, guides us through him to the Father. Let's um, keep looking down, verses 7 and 8. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. So it seems Jesus thinks it's time for a switcheroo on the analogy. Um, and I think that's a little confusing as a listener, why he's changed from one thing to another in the analogy. But I, do, I think it's more than just bad storytelling technique. I think this is actually in strengthening the theme a bit further. Um, Jesus is the good news and comes through the Father, but also the sheep recognize his voice and come through him, through his message and his person uh, to good pastures. Now, this is a double meaning. This is an, uh, a deep meaning. Uh, and it's not at all uncommon in Jewish or Hebrew discourse like it is in our linear um, thinking of the modern West. So I don't want us to dwell a heap on it, but that's sort of why. I think it's continuation of that theme. What's more important is we digest what the sheep are coming through Jesus to. Like where is he shepherding us as, she as the shepherd? For that I'm going to read verse 9 and 10. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. The change in analogy for Jesus being the gate is about where he shepherds the flock to, like I said. Sheep are led to pasture. That's for a place to be nourished. It's a place where, under the protection of the shepherd, we can have all that we need um, to get through. I went on an overnight kayaking trip a couple of years back and uh, with some friends. It was down the Pummerstone Passage. If you don't know that area, it's a pretty tame and easy paddle. So when we were loading up, my wife was having a great old chuckle at how much gear was being forced into these boats. and um, Gear and food, I should say. And I've always remembered and loved the, um, the response to, to Eti that Etienne made. 
He stood up and said, look, we're not going out there to survive. We're going to thrive. And, it was, and um, I think we had a week's worth of food in those boats. So thrive we did. And, you know, um, this, is, this is fitting here too. The, the um, pasture that Jesus as shepherd leads us to isn't one where we can just get by, where we can survive. It's one where we go to thrive. Um, he says we can have life and have it to the full. And a lot of um, translations call it abundant life, which I really love that translation of. So Jesus as shepherd is one who comes from and through our creator father, the one who made a way for us to return to him from our sins. He gives us the gift of being able to hear his voice and to follow to tr- in trust. And when we do, he leads us to pasture where we'll have life to the full. He's a pretty good shepherd so far, yeah? Pretty good. Very good. However, then Jesus says something that no one could expect of any earthly shepherd. I'm now reading verses 11 to 15. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. A good shepherd of the times would defend the sheep bravely and fight for them. But no one would expect him to die for them. Let's bear in mind that Jesus hasn't actually done this yet when he said that. So I still think it's quite a, a, um, what's the word, a confronting message for the hearers to hear. You know, like a shepherd that's willing to do that, I mean, they're thinking, wow, this shepherd he promises to be is sure willing to go the extra mile, yeah? And um, he must really love the sheep, someone's willing to do that. Now, there's an extra bit which I think adds more power to it for me, and that's verse 15. He says, just as the father knows me and I know the Father. To me, this is more confronting again because this isn't just a shepherd that's willing to die for the sheep, but this is an all-powerful, one-with-the-creator-father shepherd who's willing to do that. This isn't a cheap gift. (laughs) This is an incredible shepherd who's still willing to give his life. And he'll do anything to protect us, including that. It's really special. His strength is enough too. It says here, Um, I lay it down only to take it up again. So as we know, death doesn't conquer him. He promises there will never be an attacker or a wolf that his self-sacrifice won't be sufficient for. So let's let's be practical for a second. What are the the wolves that can attack the Christian? Let's go interactive. What do you reckon? Sorry? False doctrine, absolutely. Persecution, yeah? doubt there's lots of things in there I've got here uh, could be persecution from others like we heard I mean that's very real in lots of parts of the world less so here but getting more so not too slowly to my eyes Um, false teaching false doctrine from supposed brothers and sisters in Christ but anything that doesn't direct us to the gospel Um, it can be health issues in our body or our mind can be spiritual attacks from within doubt or sin could be, could be anything, I think, that attacks the spiritual safety of the flock under the good shepherd Jesus, to put it broadly. 
Now, in these cases, the shepherd Jesus is willing to do anything that is needed, even up to and including laying down his own life to protect his flock. Does this mean he won't let us have times which are uncomfortable, painful, or, just, or difficult? No, it doesn't. We have to look at his priorities. Look at the, willing, at the things he's willing to and has already done to bring us close to him. As much as he doesn't like to see us in any pain or discomfort, if doing so will lead us to lean more heavily on, listen more heavily for his voice, he's willing to do that to strengthen an eternal bond and blessing and to get us to, to build that eternal bond with the shepherd so we listen to his voice more. He's very willing to do that. Now, from the passage we just looked at then, it, it would be remiss of me to not mention verse 16. Now, it's not a big point in what we're discussing, but it deserves mention because we're here. It says, I have sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They, will too, they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. I bring it up because this passage has often been misused, I've heard, to, um, to portray the idea that all religions might lead to God, these other sheep. Um, but that's not correct at all. Um, there is one name given under heaven through which man must be saved. That name is Jesus Christ, absolutely. One way, there's one way to God. But we remember here that Jesus is talking to Jews. Um, what he is saying, for he's looking forward to a time when the ears would be opened of Gentiles too. Me and at least most of you um, to hear his voice and follow him as shepherd as well. So um, he's, that's, that's what's going on there. Lastly, though, I really love verse 18. This is one that makes it very special to me. It says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. No one forces Jesus to shepherd us this way. He chooses to. And for me, that's what makes it really special. You know, I'm a physics teacher, and I have three beautiful boys. I love them to bits. You know, sometimes they muck up, though, believe it or not. Um, most kids do. I, I was perfect as a child. But um, all other kids, <laughs> um, sometimes they'll muck up. But I wonder, maybe I can get around this problem. Maybe I can get my physics knowledge and focus on mechatronics and build myself a robot son. This robot son, I would program him, he would be perfect. I would program him to show me love. Um, every day when I get home from work, he would give me a smile and a hug and an I love you, Dad. But here's the thing. These guys do that already. And which ones do I feel more special because of that? Because of, which ones do I feel more loved by? Wages earned or forced aren't the same as a gift given by the heart, given by choice from the heart, I should say. Your loving shepherd comes from and through the Father. He guides you to his kingdom where you will have abundant pasture and he'll do anything necessary to protect you, in, up to lay, and including laying down his life, which he already did. He does this by choice and he does this because he loves you, looking directly at you at all your best bits and all your worst bits because make no mistakes, he sees all. He makes that choice. Isn't that special? This is a good shepherd. Okay, with that idea about what God sees himself as as the shepherd, now let's look at Psalm 23. Not quite yet, Trin. <laughs> Soon. Um, looking back at the original Psalm, I know sheep are pretty stupid, I'll admit that, but let's, let's try and put our mind in, in the mind of a sheep for a second. Ready? Go. It's peaceful, this oblivious, isn't it? This is, this is good. But imagine in this position 
looking up and seeing that you'd accidentally wandered from the flock or they'd wandered from you and you're in a pretty desolate looking valley here you're in a rough place and you see a wolf or a dingo or a tiger snake or something watching you and moving in now what kind of shepherd do you want at that time what kind of help do you feel you need and what do you want king david the author of the author the author of psalm 23 was in this kind of situation metaphorically speaking um, and I'm, I would like to summarise a section of 2 Samuel chapters 13 to 17, just briefly, uh, which shows a series of events in his, life, in his life. Now, it's not universally agreed upon, but strongly so. Um, there are lots of arguments that this would be the, um, the backdrop to the, the writing of Psalm 23. So, David's son Absalom had gone through a rough period in life. He'd made some questionable choices. Uh, and he was, he'd fled from Jerusalem and he was in hiding. Uh, David, who still loved his son very much, sent his man Joab to go and get him, and he brought him back, but he kept him in isolation. He wasn't allowed before the king for his crimes. He wasn't allowed in his presence. Absalom then spent the next few years uh, building up. He used his cunning and his charisma, and we're told his excellent good looks. Um, I'm sure they didn't hurt. To build up um, support for a coup, which he then executed. And then he tried to take the throne, and David was sent into into hiding he fled so david was then on the lamb no pun intended for the message my you didn't laugh my boys told me that was a terrible joke my robot son would have laughed (laughs) so he was he was in hiding and absalom's and he was at this place called mahamayim well known for being the hardest to pronounce town in the region um he was sitting there and absalom's armies came and david's armies went out to meet him uh, to meet that army after his generals urged him, sit this one out, you're too important. So he's sitting there and the battle's going on over here. And while he's sitting there, I think he's got a lot on his mind, yeah? What is going to happen this day? How's this day going to pan out? Am I going to be king at the end of the day or someone else? How's it going to go for my, for my loyal soldiers and generals and friends? Am I even going to survive the day? Is my son going to survive the day? Will there be any reconciliation in that relationship? David was troubled and in a very desolate place in mind and spirit, I would say, that day, yeah? And when David was in that situation, he reflected on his youth as a shepherd and he called out to his heavenly shepherd for guidance. He penned the words to the now well-known psalm, Psalm 23. And I reckon it would be cool for us to actually read it aloud together. Is that okay? Thanks, Trin. We're gonna, it's going to be up on the screen, so make sure we've got the same version. Because this is when he's in that situation. This is what he, he penned. And I, um, I think it's great for us to do so, recognising the context and also what the Father sees as he inspired us, what he sees, like from John chapter 10, um, in him being our shepherd. So let's read that. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever it's a beautiful psalm 
The good shepherd comes from the Father and leads to his kingdom where there is abundant pasture and protection from anything that attacks. David was in the valley of the shadow of death then, wasn't he? But he looked and he started the psalm acknowledging the holy shepherd's guidance to green pastures is where he started. Hebrews 11.1 says, uh, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. I think David showed real faith at that point. But he also remembered um, a passage from Deuteronomy 8.3, which we'll recognize as the words Jesus spoke when tempted by Satan, where it says, Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I think David knew that by recalling the guidance he'd had his whole life through the law and the prophets, the voice of his shepherd would lead him through and lead him through to good pasture. David was in the valley of the shadow of death, but he looked at the safety and assurance he had. So he said, For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And he knew these blessings, they weren't stingy, they weren't harshly rationed. I love that how similar is too weak a word, the message of that is in the two passages we've looked at. Um, He says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And we saw before verse 11 in John 10, I came they may have life and have it abundantly. My cup overflows. We'll have life abundantly. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. No, No blessing or providence will be left out. No enemy not overcome. Because our shepherd isn't just okay, is he? He's the, the good shepherd. Now, we took the time to define the word shepherd well before. Let's, let's look at the word good. Okay? Um, I work with, with youth um, a lot. And um, sorry, guys, but <laughs> those that are here, I'm often a bit amused by the flippancy of the use of some words like awesome, for example. You know, if we get five-minute break, awesome. This is an awesome pie. It's a pretty good pie to inspire awe, isn't it? But um, I might say it's a good pie, but Jesus is going to take that an extra step. Um, I, like before, I did take pains at the start to point out that Jesus was born into a Middle Eastern um, culture. But I think it's very Australian the way he uses the word good so understatedly. Um, he says he is the good shepherd to do this. He doesn't use good like I do. When he says good, it's like back in Genesis, uh, when alongside the Father, he surveyed creation, and their description was that it was good. It was good. It was without room or opportunity for improvement. It was without flaw or error. It was good. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's everything we need. And you know, we need a lot, don't we? We have to recognize that. An okay shepherd bravely fights the sheep, but we needed a good shepherd. And we need a good shepherd. He puts his life on the line. The good shepherd lays it down. The centre of the Christian faith is the gospel, the good news. That each of us had walked away from God. We'd wandered. We'd chosen to as well. We'd turned our back on God. We've done the wrong thing. And God is perfect. There isn't a way back that we can do. But Jesus then, by his choice, laid down his life to make a way, paid for all that, and we can now be close with the Father again. The Holy Spirit lives inside us when we've made that choice. This is an incredible gift, and our shepherd walks closely with us. We can always hear his voice, we can follow, he will protect, and this isn't a small promise. This is good news for a good shepherd. You know, there are many Bible passages 
which even among the unchurched are well known. They roll off the tongue, they stick in our mind and I think that's a fantastic thing because it helps us through our daily life. I think of Genesis 1, I think John 3.16 and of course I think Psalm 23. My hope from this morning is that we will, we will read Psalm 23 and it will roll off our tongue and it will stick in our mind. But when we do, we'll remember some of the context of just what that means, what a good shepherd is and just how much Jesus promises to be the shepherd um, and the details of that shepherding uh, that we've seen in John chapter 10. When you look about yourself and see you in self in green pastures, speak out Psalm 23 with the promises Jesus made about himself as a good shepherd in mind. Giving thanks. You may at times find yourself in the valley of the shadow of death. And for what that means in your context, I'll leave you to ponder. Because it can be very different, as we said. But then, speak out the words of the, um, in the voice of our Lord through reading and recalling Scripture including Psalm 23. Remember these promises. And he will guide us through as our good shepherd. You know his voice. You know that he is the way to eternal, abundant pasture and protection. The wolves have already been defeated as he laid down his life and he took it up again. And he did this by choice because he loves you. Whatever the valley is, he is there guiding us through it. So why don't we pray thanks. Dear Lord, this, this really is a great blessing to know that you're with us. And, um, and to just know the details of what that means for you has been really special. I pray that you um, continue to guide us, help us to seek your voice and to love it, and help us to hear it clearly as you guide us through this life. And we just thank you so much that you never leave us. In Jesus' name, amen.